Hey champ, it's The Undertaker from the WWE, man. I just wanted to reach out and uh, wish you good luck on tomorrow night's fight. Not that you need it. You've already smashed this guy really properly. And uh, I have no doubt that you're going to do it again. But uh, I just wanted you to know uh, I'm going to be watching. And uh, I want to see you uh, drop this guy one more time. You smash this guy. And when you're looking over him, just for me, look down at him and say, Rest in peace. <laughs> send him one back. Let me send him a little video back with me uh, hat on. Has <laughs> he sent that to you, Direct? Has he? Oh, no, he's still Ready? This one's for The Undertaker. I'm here today in your hat, sir. I'm going to smash him and I'm going to say, Rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where Frank Warren and BT Sport are back doing that business with the Mexicans. Um, hopefully no lawsuit this time. And yeah, so welcome. It's Saturday. It's the fight to end them all, apparently. Um, the trilogy is upon us. And... I don't know if it's just me, but this whole Fury Wilder build-up has been, it's been strange. And I, I've heard people talk, and you have to remember a lot of these guys in the media, it's their job to, to give you stories where, to be honest, there are no stories. I think what you're seeing now is two guys who are actually fed up of each other. You know, Fury's played his best hand, Wilder's played his best hand. We're all looking going, what can they do differently? And you're like, we're three years into this between... <laughs> you know, two elite level professional fighters. There's nothing else they can do after this. It has to stop. And not just that it has to stop. These two cannot be in the same room as each other for at least two years. I think that's where we need to get to. Because I'm intrigued with the results of the fight. I'm not that interested in the and the nuances. And I know there were people, people tweet me back going, oh my God, there's so much to this fight. There is, there really isn't. Ignore Bunce. Ignore, no, it's not even Costello anymore. Ignore Bunce. Ignore those other outlets. Let me keep it really, really simple. This fight is simply about the desire to perform. It's not about tactics. It's not really about technique because these are world championship level fighters. They're already at the top of their game. If they haven't seen it in a fight, they've seen it in sparring. So this is really about, can you get the maximum out of your performance tonight? That's all it's about. It's not about, well, if Wilder moves his foot two inches to the left, he opens up 15 different options. It's not that. It really, really isn't. It's, it's this, it's understanding what you need to do psychologically and it's committing to doing that. That's really what this fight's all about. And so I'll explain what I mean by all of this. I remember, you know, digging back in the archives, there were two super heavyweights, right? One I trained, one I didn't train. Courtney Bennett, who I did train, and George Fox, who I didn't train. And when Courtney was coming up, and you're still quite raw, quite novice really intelligent, like ring intelligence through the roof, just hadn't had enough months and years in the game to bed it in. 
but he had a name. And so Team George Fox, which was IQ slash Neesden back in the day, shouts out to those guys, we're like, we'll take the fight. Okay. And so we're like, who's this George Fox? We don't know who George Fox is. And then it comes out that it's Don Charles' son. And you're like, whoa, so this guy's come up around guys like Chisora, this, that, and the third. He, uh, oh, he's six foot seven. Oh, okay, so you think this is going to be an easy night. But we already knew we weren't going to do him on experience. We weren't going to do him on anything. And so what we thought was, in my head, I thought, okay, cool. If this guy's as special as they say he is, let's take the loss early in the career. Okay? If we want to take that L, let's take it now and then go the rest of the time unbeaten. Easy. So we said, right, make the fight. So they make the fight and we're like, okay, it's a couple of months away. We've got fights in between. It just so happened in those intervening fights, Courtney knocked out both of his opponents. All of a sudden, that fight didn't happen. Okay? So every six months or so, we asked them if they wanted to fight. No, 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 no. So we never boxed on the club show. But we did box at the Haringey. And the key part was, you know, we did our bit. We beat our guys comfortably. Um, stoppage, stoppage in the quarters, you know, dominant win in the semis. So in the semis, we then watched George against a kid called Taron Willett. Now, Taron Willett was 128 kilos at the time, I think, and he was about 5'11". Big lump of a human being. He's lost a lot of weight now, and I think he, he either turned pro or he wants to turn pro. He, exciting style for a small heavyweight, and he can crack, right? So after that semi-final, George Fox comes out the ring. I said to Courtney, Just look at him as if, as if you've been doing this for 20 years. And uh, George came over, smiled and went, did you like that? Courtney just went, average. And you could see the color drain from George Fox's face at the time. And I don't say this because you know, I'm cool with both guys now, but it was that point we thought, you know, no, no need for tactics in this. I remember just saying, all you have to do is perform. And your performance looks like this. A fast pace and combination punches. You already know the rest. You just have to do that for three rounds. And it's easy for you. And what did he do? On that Sunday, he set about George. Is George the better boxer? Maybe. Better technician? Maybe. But for three rounds, he couldn't be that person. And Courtney could be who he wanted to be. And so that's what you've got to do with Wilder against Fury. You've got to accept that you're not going to out-technique Fury. You're not going to outdo him on tactics. You're not going to outdo him on experience. You're not going to show him anything he hasn't seen before. But what you can do is pull him out of his comfort zone. And we've seen that happen before. John McDermott did it. Steve Cunningham did it. I'm not saying they did it successfully, but they did it enough to say, what if they'd been bigger guys with bigger punches? What could they have done? Because this idea that Fury is this impenetrable wall is a myth. He is if you fight at his pace. So what do you look for if you're Deontay Wilder? You look to control the pace. You look to set the pace for how many shots are thrown and where they're thrown. Like Otto Wilder did against Fury where he said, I can't outbox this guy. 
I'm just going to set about him. And whatever happens, happens. Now, there's arguments that that fight should have been stopped with that cut. There are also questions about whether that cut will open up again in this fight. Which is something, you know, we, we wait to see. Like, the, the furies and cuts seems to be a theme in the last few years. So, let's see what happens with that. But for me, as long as Wilder just goes, look, I'm here to fight. I'm fighting for all the things I've said in the press conferences. I'm fighting for that reason. I'm not fighting for ego anymore. I'm fighting because when I came into the sport, my child needed health, health care. Yeah, that was it. My child needed health care. I'm, I'm fighting for this because my family need to be secure. I want to know that I put my body on the line so my family never have to worry about money again. And maybe once you get past that, you can say, actually, I'm doing this for my legacy too. And if you're Fury and you're like, I got to fight this guy for a third time. Like, what more do you want from me? I outboxed him in the first fight. I ran him over in the second fight. What more do you want from me? And that puts a different kind of pressure on Tyson Fury psychologically because now he's like, I don't know. What can I do now? Apart from that, that whole Southpaw thing that he does, there's not much else he can do. But I think with the Southpaw thing, he leaves himself open. So that's not really an option on the table for me. But if, if, for, the, for the technique heads out there, if I was going to look at something in this fight and say what's going to be really interesting, it would be the Wilder foot speed. Because at his best, Wilder just closes that gap. You know, one minute he's out of range, the next minute he's in range. But normally, it comes behind the double jab. And that's him at his best. I think in the first Fury fight, he thought he was just going to knock him out. In the second one, he tried to knock him out. Sometimes you can't force a knockout. It's the equivalent of walking into a strip club with no money in a box full of condoms, right? Every stripper's going to walk past you because they can see you coming a mile off and they know that, that that's all you're bringing to the table. And it's the same with Fury. If you go for that knockout, he's waiting for it. He knows what shots you're going to try and knock him out with. He won't let those happen. He'll nullify those. But if you just aim to hit and hurt him, if you just aim to have Fury respect you, if you just commit to letting your hands go, and it's, it's a flippant expression, but what it essentially means is you commit to throwing punches at your opponent. You don't wait for the perfect opportunity. If I've got both hands up, spare my guard. Come around the side. Make it so that there's no hiding place for me. If Wilder does that to Fury, I think it's an interesting fight. From Fury's perspective, I think you just mix it up in this fight. I think there'll be times you've got to box. I think there'll be times you have to dominate physically. Because without those two, I don't think you dominate the psychology of the fight. If I'm Fury, I'm committing to the middle of the ring. And if I'm Wilder, I'm fighting for that middle of the ring. Because the robes did him absolutely no favors at all. And this is a legacy of having terrible trainers. Because terrible trainers will have you going to the ropes without the tools to actually operate on the ropes. How many times have we seen it in a British ring where the guy just slides to the back? And as much as he's a close friend of mine, Denzel did this against Felix Cash. He, he did it against Heffron. He just slid back to the ropes. But he didn't have the tools. Like when you're on those ropes, what are you actually going to do? Because you want the ropes to be your friend. But they ended up being your enemy. 
And Wilder found the same thing. The ropes weren't his friend. But it's really hard to dominate the middle of the ring in boxing. Really, really hard. Only the, only the elite fighters dominate the middle of the ring. But the middle of the ring is where you hurt people. And here's why. People that box backwards are 20% of the fighter they are when they come forwards. There's rare exception, like really gifted technicians. You're looking at your guys like Floyd, you know, those sort of expert counterparts, Floyd, a Pernell Whitaker, to an extent, even a Calzaghe. You know, guys who can, who can go forwards and backwards, and they're equally as effective. I don't think Fury's that guy. I don't think Wilder's that guy. So they have to battle for the middle of the ring, and they have to battle for that forward momentum. They're the tensions I see happening in this fight. But really, keeping it simple, the winner will be whoever can be the best version of themselves on that night. How bad does, how, how bad does Fury want it? How bad does Wilder want it? You can't be bored. You can't be tired at this point. You can't be fed up. You can't be lethargic. This has to mean something. Because in a few hours' time, it's going to get very real. And so I wish both guys all the best in this. And when people say, who do you think will win? I want Wilder to win. For the good of boxing, I think a Wilder win is better for the sport. But Fury has the things that can make it very hard for anyone to beat him. But the question is, is he... Is he there spiritually? Is he hungry? Did he have the camp that he needed to have for this fight? Did he have the right sparring? Does the sparring, does it even matter at this point? These are just two men who want to fight each other. As long as they're fit enough to do that, may the best man win. But my heart wants Wilder to win, my head tells me Fury will win. But one of the things I do want to address in this build-up is this idea that, that Fury's a great heavyweight. You know? And I don't... I can't buy that. And here's why I can't buy that. I think he's as talented everywhere. He might be the most talented heavyweight we've had since Riddick Bowe. Like raw talent um, in terms of like, you know, literally upside to the moon and back. Yeah, he's at that Riddick Bowe level. But greatest, being the greatest, being the best is about what you've actually done. And when there are question marks over your two biggest wins, and there are, Klitschko was old. Um, we found that out in the Brian Jennings fight. There are questions around what, what state Wilder was in, so we won't understand the second Wilder fight until we see the third. If we get a similar Wilder performance in the third, we know that that was a dominant performance. If we get a different Wilder in this fight, then we've got to go back to that second fight and say there's a question mark over that. And even in the draw, he got put down heavily. So, super talented, yes. Good heavyweight, yes. Best of his era, yeah, you give him that. But great, nah. He doesn't have a Hall of Fame career. I don't think he's boxed like he ever wants a Hall of Fame career. And I think that's the key thing. Keep that in mind. Fury, for whatever reason he fights, maybe he fights because he enjoys it. It's not about legacy and it's not about pleasing the fans. You know? Whereas you look at Wilder. 
and he's taken what people describe as maybe the worst skill set in boxing and made himself a multi-millionaire without institutional backing, without the big machine that Joshua has behind him, but by being consistent, working his way up and not listening to the negativity. Maybe after this fight, people will respect him for the fact that he took on all challenges. Open brackets, cue the Diddy and White fans going, <coughs> one second, close brackets. But, you know, of all the people we've said at the top of the mountain, Wilder hasn't, he hasn't avoided any of them. Let's remember that when we talk about Wilder. Let's, let's have some respect for him. Maybe if, even if you don't put him at number one, you've got to say he's up there. He belongs in that discussion for the best guys of his era. Because he's, he's put that work in. He's part of the reason we're so excited about the heavyweight division right now. And seriously, isn't it great to finally have a proper pay-per-view card? A card where you can't say, oh, we've been shortchanged as fans. You know, what is it in the UK? Is it 20 quid? So this is cheaper than a Joshua pay-per-view and it's, you know, two of the three best heavyweights boxing each other. Then you go down the card, you've got Hellenius, the perennial, I mean, the, the perennial overachiever against Karunaki who doesn't look like the modern heavyweight, but has that work rate, you know, and has that, 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 that sort of grit, that, that sort of old school hard man toughness. So that's a good fight. You've got F.E.A. Jagba versus Frank Sanchez. Is it the raw power of F.E.A. Jagba or is it the Cuban finesse of Frank Sanchez? Don't know. What we do know is the Cubans tend to struggle. Once they get to the pros, they tend to struggle. They don't necessarily struggle with power, but they do struggle when it comes to how bad do they want it. So I think these are all interesting subplots. I think you've got J-Rock coming back who, let's not underestimate how good he was at 154. Uh, God, I can't even remember who else is on the card. Uh, Belanga's on the card as well. So <laughs> this is depth. This is depth in a way that, as UK fans, we would never get on pay-per-view. So kudos to PBC and Top Rank for actually putting a budget into the undercard and giving the fans a reason to come early. Yeah. Massive respect to that. I think... I think this is the best pay-per-view card we've seen since one of the Mayweather ones. Right? It's a long time since we've seen a pay-per-view card this deep in terms of meaningful fights and fights that will entertain the fans. Because you've got the new guys coming up, you've got the established guys, and you've got the old guys you know, having their final hurrah in guys like Hellenius. So as a fan, what more do you want? What more do you want? This is... We should be praising this card and we should be saying this is what we expect as fans. You want us to pay money, give us this and we'll pay every time. But as I keep saying, boxing fans just want to moan all the time. So they'll find a reason to moan about this card. They'll find a reason to be negative. And it's, it's one of those things, I keep coming back to it. It's like being at school. You know, Jimmy and Philip would fight and they'd be like, 50 to 100 people in a circle round and everyone in that circle had an opinion they'd never take that step forward into that circle though would they but they just want to have an opinion and sometimes boxing fans are like that and they refuse to check themselves you know this is a time to be positive about boxing I think if you're going to moan you're almost going to say there's too much boxing 
on Saturday. The zone card is good. The Frank Warren card is what it needs to be as a warm-up to, to the pay-per-view card, right? And if you like your, if you like your action small hall, Steve's putting on the show as well tonight. So this is one of those days as a boxing fan, you have to say, we have all bases covered. And let's demand more of this. And let's not try and be negative this weekend. Because this is what we asked for. And as fans, this is what we deserve. I want to touch on that, that match from card because I think when it was announced, I said at the time, I definitely tweeted at the time, this is a really good card. And me and Porky obviously disagree on this because he just thinks it's a bunch of mediocre guys fighting each other, which I'm okay with, actually. Sometimes, sometimes I just need fights that are going to be entertaining. Yeah? I need to know that on a card that I don't have to pay for, I'm going to get Liam Smith versus Anthony Fowler, which is either going to be a hell of a fight or Fowler's going to get stopped. I don't know which one it is, but either way, it's going to be entertaining. You've got Cheeseman versus Williamson, which is, you know, a bunch of guys who weren't quite Olympian level, but were really good GB boxers and both have a point to prove. And then it's, is it Kieran Conway versus JJ Metcalf? So that's two guys who on any given day can spring a surprise fighting each other. These are all well-matched fights. When have you ever heard me be this positive about an Eddie Hearn show? This is, if Eddie's going to come back in the UK and really put BT to sleep and put Frank to sleep, these are the cards he has to just deliver on a regular basis. If he wants to go head-to-head -head with Sky, because that Sky card is, well, the Sky proposition seems to be heading in this direction as well. You know, top, of the, top four fights on the bill, competitive. And then we've got some build-up fights, we've got some tests, we've got some old guys with their last hurrah, we can mix it up further down the card, but those top four fights have to be competitive. And I'm looking forward to this. I don't know who wins between Smith and Fowler, because if you tell me Liam Smith has 80% of what he had against Canelo, then he wins. If he's dropped off, then Fowler wins. But don't underestimate how relentless Fowler is. And there's a fair bit of local pride. What I like is it's been relatively respectful because <laughs> I think they all know people who can knock on each other's doors. So it's been quite respectful. I'm actually looking forward to this. So knowing me, I'll probably end up being out and I'll miss it unless they show it in a pub somewhere. But I, I, I'm going to praise this card because I think this is a really good card. I think this is the kind of card boxing needs to restore confidence. And it's the kind of card that becomes more difficult the more we spread out the talent between eight or nine different promoters. I don't think that works, if I'm being honest with you. But now, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the Shannon Courtney fight, actually. The, it's against Jamie Mitchell. That's going to be a really interesting fight. So Shannon doesn't make weight. And I've heard things behind the scenes of, you know, some people weren't happy. You know, we had the excuse of the, the, the menstrual cycle kicked in out of nowhere. Now, I'm not a woman, so I can't judge this, but normally there are warning signs. My assumption is there are warning signs, and you usually know when it's coming. But don't quote me on that. I go back to what I said when Shannon turned pro, and they said she'd box a bantamweight, and I said, it's not a weight she can make easily. That's what, and I imagine she's used the same protocol for everything, because she's a creature of habit. 
What happens is your body builds up a resistance to that. It starts to get clever. Oh, you're going to try and deplete me of everything? Okay, I'm going to hide it in different places. So now you need a different way to cut weight. And so she had two and a half pounds to shift in two hours, and she didn't even bother trying. There are people behind the scenes that say she, she bottled it. Not for me to comment. The right thing happened. She was stripped of her title. She still has to fight Jamie Mitchell, who, who looks good at the weight, actually. Helps that she's smaller, but looks really good at the weight. If you watch Jamie Mitchell in any of her previous fights, lovely combination puncher, stays busy, keeps that pressure on. And it's going to be hard for Shannon because Shannon does all that Adam Booth kind of posturing and stuff. You're not going to be able to just sit back and counter on Jamie Mitchell because you're going to be eating punches all the while. And my worry with Shannon is always that when someone comes to fight and is relentless, she can retreat into herself a bit. And if she does that against Jamie Mitchell, I don't see her winning. More importantly, if she does win this fight, I don't see her staying at 118 pounds. Because clearly it's showing that there's too much risk. Do you move her up to 126, which is more her natural weight? I don't know, because Ellie Scottney is definitely waiting for that. And I, I don't think there's a, there's a universe in which Shannon Courtney could lay a glove on Ellie Scottney. Just me being honest. At 126, I, it'd be like an HGV over an egg. I don't want to sound cruel, but there are levels to the sport for a reason. And Ellie's as real as they come. Shannon's a good fighter. A couple of bits I am intrigued by. So, a little, you know, um, watching so young Solly Dakers. Is it Dakers or Dakers? Anyone from Birmingham, please tell me. Watching him against Kevin Sokolowski, what a fight to take so early in your career. That's, that's balls of steel. I've heard some people say he's been thrown under the bus. I don't think he has, and here's why. Even as an amateur, he has such a high punch output, and he's strong. He's really, really strong. You know, Camille's got the, that grown man strength, but Solly will keep him busy. Like those punches Solly hits you with deplete you. So that's going to be an interesting subplot because that could be an upset, but I don't see it being an upset. And if it is an upset, there'll be uproar about Eddie once again ruining one of his prospects. I'm gutted that Tasha Jonas isn't boxing. So I think for people who know that, right up until the last minute, it was Natasha Jonas versus TBA. And what I was hearing at the time was Joe was being difficult. That's what I was hearing. Joe G's being difficult again, which I don't think is the case because if someone has shown us they will fight anyone, anywhere, anytime, it's Tasha Jonas, right? I think Natasha Jonas would fight every week if she could. She strikes as being that sort of old school do it wherever, whenever, however. And so when I heard that the York Hall card was cancelled, which we can come on to later, and Louise Orton was available, that was my suggestion. Let Louise Orton fight Natasha Jonas. But that's not an easy thing to make because you have to remember Louise Orton would have been making a professional debut. So the question is, do you want to do your professional debut at York Hall in front of 200 people? Maybe get a knockover win? Or do you go to a packed out Liverpool arena or the Echo arena, fight Natasha Jonas, probably lose, but not, not get outclassed. I don't think Tasha's cruel like that, but you'd lose on your debut. But the, whole, but 
you know, the boxing community would know you a lot more. It, it, horns of a dilemma. As a manager, I don't know what you do in that situation. Because it's like, do you pass up that opportunity for the visibility and take the L? And then hopefully you get your bill back fights? I don't know. But that's tough. It's tough that we don't get to see Tasha Jonas. And it's tough that Louise Orton doesn't get to make her debut. That boxing can be a cruel sport at times. But no, I think that Liverpool card, if you're going up, I know Karina Hercock is, so if you're going up, congratulations. Enjoy the night. It looks like it's going to be a great night. And one of those, you know, one of those big ticks in the box for British boxing. We also have to touch on the retirement of David Price. It's a strange one. So the David Price career, I've kind of seen up close just because Frank Maloney and Mick Carney were, were good friends. So we've known about the David Price story pretty much from day one. And so the question is, was David Price a bust? And it's, it's tricky because he was annihilating the people he was supposed to annihilate, much like Joshua did. And then they gave him Tony Thompson. And the same thing that happened to David Price is what happened to Joshua against Ruiz. You suddenly had an American who knew his way around a ring. And we don't prepare our big guys for that. We teach him to be one-two merchants, just overwhelmed with one-twos. And Tony Thompson wasn't there for that. And my theory was always that Tony Thompson showed David Price how little he actually knew about boxing. And the rest of David's career was trying to close that knowledge gap, which led to him overthinking and deviating from what made him devastating, which was just a big jab and a big right hand. And he never, never rediscovered that. People can say, ah, he was rubbish every time he stepped up. I genuinely think he became a guy who overthought because he's not an idiot. David Price is a reasonably smart guy. And sometimes when you're too smart, you end up overthinking. And you overthink when you don't trust your team. When you feel that they are not giving you what you know you need. And so you saw him start moving between trainers. But he was moving between mediocre trainers. So he ended up in that position of, I'm not learning anything. I'm getting my backside handed to me. Remember there was that time where he was trying to work with Lennox Lewis and that didn't work because Lennox was like, I can't work with these other people in this camp. So I think David Price's career is a wasted opportunity. The guy was dominant as an amateur. Coming up, he was dominant as a pro. He just never had the right teacher. There wasn't a guy that understood who David Price is as a human being and therefore how he should box and how you then deal with various situations within that boxing identity. He didn't have that. And he's paid a heavy price for that. No, I'm sure he's made good money from the sport and hopefully like he'll never have to come back. But I think David Price will be one of those what if boxes where we're like, I wonder what would have happened if. Yet at the same time, let's not let that pull us away from the fact that he delivered a medal for us for the Olympics. And you know, the rule goes, anyone who's done something for their country is worthy of praise. So, happy retirement to David Price. And, you know, tonight, sort of the merry-go-round he helped start carries on with Wilder and Fury. So, last night, I was meant to be at York Hall watching John Palazzo win the Southern Area title against a good friend of mine, Domac and Lardy. You know, tough, because I love both guys. I do. Like, I came up with Dom. Dom taught me a lot about the sport of boxing a lot because he knows a lot 
And JP's obviously a guy I've worked with closely and, you know, I've kind of been involved in his career in various forms for the last, what, six, seven years? So the fight gets cancelled. They say it's because of medical reasons. I have no idea why. But it's not like... It's not like... It wasn't like they sold that many tickets that not having the main event was a risk. You know, that's the sort of night where you're taking the loss anyway. Just let the fights happen. Now they've got to wait till November 5th. And that's more training and that's more... I mean, sometimes I wonder how people box off televised shows. I wonder how they make the economics work because it's brutal. It's not just John, it's everyone else on the card. Like we talked about earlier, Louise Orton. And it seems to be happening all too often. You know, I've looked at the Goodwin card for this Saturday and it's not my cup of tea. I understand that there will be people who support guys like Liam Dillon and so forth. And good, go out to York or have a good time. It just feels like Small hall boxing's dying and not through its own efforts, actually. I'm going mean, to defend small hall boxing because the proposition is the proposition. It is what it is. But because Frank's moved down the value chain and Eddie's moved down the value chain and Sky Slash Boxer have moved down the value chain to hoover up guys who would have been small hall guys before, it's hard. I don't think you'll see Linus boxing at York Hall again. And there's a guy who Steve could rely on for tickets, Brad Pauls, similarly. And these are good things, but it leaves a vacuum. And you may say it leaves opportunity, but if you are that good, Frank will pick you up straight away. They're not going to let you go through the small hall circuit. That's a shame. I genuinely think we needed an apprenticeship league where guys could prove themselves and move up. And we've moved so far from that. And I don't think it benefits the young boxers coming up. I really don't. They know they can have a couple of performances in the amateurs and they can be on a Frank Warren show now. I don't know. That's to me, not a good thing. You should earn the right to be placed in front of the public on TV. A lot of these guys haven't guys like Linus have Jermaine Brown has Mikel Lowell has some other guys haven't. They've just had the right contacts in the right places. And it's not a good situation. We don't want to see small hall boxing die. You know, it's a whole, you know, Tesco, Amazon and the corner shops thing. You know, you eradicate the corner shops and then you put your own corner shops in place. But before that, you were telling us corner shops are dead. What you meant was you just wanted to control everything. And that's kind of what it feels like with boxing right now. So something happened this week that I picked up on. I don't think people have talked about it a lot. But it's, it's interesting. Interesting for the odd cause. For the odd cause. <laughs> no, so... Ayibra talking about offering prize money for the winners of the world championships. Yeah. The world amateur championships are now going to have prize money. So that was enough to take in. And so what they did is they laid that on by saying, we hope that national federations will now start to introduce prize money for their national tournaments. And the pro boxing part of me went, yay, 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 do that, do that. And then I paused for a second and I thought, that's going to get problematic. I'll explain what I mean. You give me a gym. I'm poaching every talented kid in every other gym. And I'm saying, right, I only want people in this gym that can win the ABAs, that can win me some money. All you other lot, you've got to pay 20 quid to train here now. 
Then you'll see the GB guys go, well, there's prize money. I'm down for that. <laughs> Let me compete. And they have that unfair advantage. So what do you do? Do you give people an eight-week camp in GB so everyone can get up to speed? I don't know. What I do know is it will cause a lot of problems because you've got to understand <laughs> how tetchy money is in boxing in general. You take that to the amateur level where guys are giving up their time for free. Then it's a problem because now it's like, well, hold on, I'm giving, I'm giving up my time for free. You want to give the ABA champion 10 grand? I want half of that. And then the club says, what do you mean you want half of that? You're doing it in my club. I want that money. I'll work out who gets what. Now the box is like, how can the club control the money? That's not fair. You're not doing any of the work. So you will end up seeing a lot of this friction start to arise just due to what money can do. So part of me thinks it's a good idea because it gives boxers an incentive to stay amateur and it gives them an incentive to prolong their careers. But the politics behind it would be absolute murder. Literally <laughs> murder. I'm not joking. Because the, the, there's rabid insecurity, jealousy, spite, all sorts of negativity in amateur boxing already. You bring money into it. Whoo, who lit the blue touch paper? But let's see how that develops, because I'm still, I'm against it, but I'm not 100% against it, if it could be made to work properly. But I would harvest up the best talent, because I'd be like, I want at least four finalists, because I need to get my money. So you start thinking like a professional trainer, where you start harvesting good talent, and you start rejecting talent, that's not going to make you any money. Maybe not what we want to do as an amateur sport. But having said that, I look at sports like rugby that are nominally amateur outside of the top two divisions. And I've been paid 70 quid a game, 100 quid a game. You know, they call it expenses, but you get paid like that beer money, isn't it? So here, here's some money for playing. And that changes things. So what you end up with are loads of Kiwis, Aussies and South Africans going, oh, yeah, I'll have some of that while I'm traveling or while I'm on vacation. Yeah, why not? And so it distorts the league. And a lot of these clubs don't sustain themselves. They sort of rise quickly. And then when that money runs out, fall like a stone. So, I'd, yeah, what do you do with the prize money? Oh, I don't know. It's tricky. But I'll be interested to see how the sport reacts to this. But I've have, I have a feeling people will, will be as much against it as I am. Maybe for different reasons. But, yeah, prize money is a good idea. Boxing wouldn't know what to do with the money. I was, I was wondering today, like, what the hell happened to Emma Williams? Like, we don't, you know, Porky dragged Dave Caldwell over the coals for what Dave's done to kids. And by the way, no one was lying in those videos. Yeah. So let's be absolutely clear. No one's saying Dave did anything sexual with kids because he didn't. And I say this as a fact, he didn't. What we are saying is Dave behaved in a way. As a young man, yeah, remember this, as a young man in his early to mid-twenties, he behaved in a way that you shouldn't behave around kids in terms of how you treat children. You know, you know like you can't, you can't be ranting and raving at kids the way you would a grown, grown man or woman. Dave's older and he's wiser now. I've spoken to people, mutual friends. Dave's older and wiser. Does he regret that stuff? Of course he does. Now that he's a dad, he understands why what he did was wrong. Should he come out and apologize? I think you should. If, something, if you've done something in your past that's affected people into adulthood, you should apologize for it and you should try and make it right. Don't ignore it. 
but no, there's no, there's nothing noncy about it. But I, I say that because I feel Hearn is similar, but with adults. So you look, he had Amma Williams on private jets. He had him doing this, that, and the other. He had him lined up to fight Fowler. Like he was banging the drum for Amma Williams. Essentially a guy he discovered on Instagram. Be absolutely clear about this. A guy he discovered on Instagram. That's like sliding into someone's DMs on Instagram and marrying them before you've met in person. So he does this. And then Amma gives some lackluster performances and Hearn goes, he's not ready. This isn't the fighter I thought I was getting. And just ignored him. Blanked him. Deleted his, blocked his number like Eddie tends to do. And so Amma had his little, I mean, you have a meltdown because you're like, oh, this isn't how I thought it would go. And like I say, boxers are insecure people. You ignore a boxer, all sorts of dark thoughts creep into their mind. And I think Amo paid a, a heavy price spiritually and emotionally for that. The same with Otha Jones III. We don't talk about them anymore, do we? And who's this old man? Is this old man Roshan Jones? Do you know I mean, like, these are good trainers. He changed Charles Conwell, I think he trains. Talented fighters that Eddie ruined by ignoring them. Who else? Um, Nkosi Solomon. Hearn ditched him too. Um, who was that guy? The, was he Uzbek or Kazakh? Yulusinov. Ditched him. And IFL don't ask these questions. Behind the gloves don't ask these questions. You know, Mike Costello never asked these questions. Steve Buzz never asked that question of, do you take responsibility for the emotional damage you're doing to these youngsters by shooting them to the stars and just dropping them? Because it's happening all too often. Now, I'm a, I'm a massive believer in winner stays on, by the way. I think that makes perfect sense. But there has to be like readiness criteria for that. When are you ready to play that game? Amma wasn't ready. Like I said, YouTube sparring clips, Instagram sparring clips, all that social media stuff isn't real boxing. Just like pad work is not real boxing. Real boxing happens in rings. There's any place it can happen. It's as simple as that. So all these guys like Tom Gray who say they're managing editor for this, man, you're nobody. You're nobody. Boxing happens in the ring. It doesn't happen in the ring magazine. It doesn't happen on Instagram. It doesn't happen on Twitter. Because no one's calling you on Twitter going, my fight's just falling through, what the hell do I do? You know what I mean? No one's, no one's phoning you on Instagram going, mate, can you get me a discount on boots or can you help me with boots? No one's doing that. Boxing happens in the ring. Nothing else matters. Everything feeds into that objective, and that is to win in the ring. And the way Eddie treated those young prospects, abysmal. Absolutely disgusting. I don't think they get treated that way in America. If you look at Bob, Bob's realistic, right? Bob will tell you, I don't think so-and-so is ready. Or, I don't think this person's worth X. He did it with Teofimo Lopez. He said, I'm not going to give him a two and a half million guarantee. He's not worth that yet. He hasn't built that kind of following where I can justify paying him two and a half million. Lopez said, right, okay. Or go to DeZone. DeZone said, uh, I don't quite want to pay that. And Triller said, we will. And Bob said, they'll never put the fight on. And they never did. 
That's the problem with boxing. A lot of guys think they deserve to be millionaires. I'd actually, I'd like there to be smaller purses at the top with more of the money distributed to the mid and lower card. I think boxing needs a more egalitarian pay structure. And I don't want to hear all of this, well, the guy at the top's taking, taking the punches. Listen, he took the same punches at 100 grand as he's taking at a million. Right? There's no real difference in the punches at that point. Same camp, same people. The right thing to do is to share the wealth. Let's stop having these bad luck stories in boxing. Let's stop having people going to jail because they had to rob jewelry stores to pay the bills. And I wish Bob would be a leader in that. I wish Al would be a leader in that. But we're still not getting the, the pay structure that's fair to boxing, in my opinion. And it means that as fans, we're probably denied the things that we love, which are more competitive fights. And also we're denied the fact, well, the opportunity to see a guy lose a fight and still come back in a big fight afterwards. That's the thing we need to fix as well in boxing. I want you to finish off by just, <laughs> just saying how shocked I was to find out Canelo versus Caleb Plant would be on BT Sport. And I'm shocked because I saw Eddie, I saw Eddie <laughs> in the Dolce and Gabbana and the Versace. You know, Eddie, <laughs> he started dressing like a 26-year-old just to be around Canelo, right? I'm sure he was going to buy himself the, the G-Wagon 6x6. You know, just to go with it. But he, he sort of prostrated himself. He, he pulled his trousers down and bent down in front of Canelo and said, I'm all yours. And then they said to him, we can't have you around for the Caleb Plant fight because these guys don't like you. And Eddie said, okay. And then what's happened? We can't even have this on the zone. They don't want this on the zone. They'll take less money for this not to be on the zone. They'd pay out of their own pocket for this not to be on the zone. And Eddie was like, I'm still part of Team Canelo. And you're a bit like, uh, well, you're not part of the money-making operation right now, are you? So what part of Team Canelo are you? You didn't make the fight. You're not staging the event. You're not broadcasting the event. Eddie, what are you doing with Canelo apart from hanging around like a jilted lover? And you can't go back to Joshua now. Because that's damaged goods. The money man in the division right now is Canelo. And if PBC have managed to snare him away from the zone, more power to them. You know, those guys were getting too smug for too long. So <laughs> I, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. It's good to see Frank back doing business with the Mexicans. Um, Every time I say that, I just think back to the picture a good friend of mine posted, who shall forever remain nameless. But no, kudos to Canelo. I'm looking forward to watching that on BT Sport. Now I don't have to subscribe to the zone for anything, which I give thanks for. Guys, listen, if you listen to this before the Matchroom card, enjoy it. If you listen to this before the Wilder Fury card, enjoy. Right? Let me know what you think, please. If you enjoy the content, like, share, make sure another friend buys into what we do here because all we do is the truth. You take care. Have a good weekend. I'm a father, a loving father, 
I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a semi-good husband, you know what I mean? What? You know what I mean? I'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my, I, I was born poor, I ain't never had nothing, man. I don't know how to act, all right? But the real thing is, I'm just, I'm just here to be me. So I don't care what uh, you think you know what? I am or who, or who anyone thinks I am um, at this stage of my life, but um, yeah, I'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan, yeah, that's who man. I am.